This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Welcome to another Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. I'm really excited about today's message and the follow-up message next week because it's not just about the preparation of festivities for Hanukkah and the Christmas holidays and all the surrounding celebrations that go on with that, but it really is about the reason for the season or the reason for all seasons. And even for those who do not celebrate Christmas or don't even understand what Christmas really is, and or for those that are celebrating but don't even celebrate for the right reasons, it really is Christmas is Christmas. It's about Jesus. It's about the Prince of Peace. It's about great joy, good tidings. It's all these things, the the light unto the world. In fact, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, Then the angel said to them, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. What a great opportunity for us to refocus at this time. Many go through sadness, and many go through struggles, many go through times of celebration. It's a season with so many plethora of emotions and feelings. It should be a time, though, to focus on the real reason for the season. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love this song, and you may remember this growing up, Joy to the World. I won't sing it to you because then you'd be turned off by this podcast, but let me just read some of the lyrics. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. It really is about the joy, the light to the world. It's about good tidings. It's a great opportunity for us to reflect and to refocus our lives in preparation for this great season. Also, as the world is looking, much attention on Christmas and all of it's from Santa Claus to to Frosty the Snowman, all the different things that come around it. But for us as Christians, it's an opportunity to let His light shine in us in great measure. Today, I want to share with you a portion of an audio version of my book, Born to Die, That We May Live, in the chapter 1, because it talks about, about the Christmas carols. It talks about the birth of Jesus. It talks about also the medical description that was given to us by Dr. C. Truman Davis about what it would be like to be crucified. So Jesus was born to die. That's why we have a rejoicing. That's why we have good tidings. That's why we have hope. That's why we have joy and peace, because we know it's beyond our own human capacity that Jesus loved us so much, that God loved us so much, that he came and was born that we may live, to give us life and life more abundantly. So I want to go into this clip right now. I think it will move you. In fact, many told me that it moves them to tears to realize what the real reason is why we celebrate this holiday season, Christmas, Christmas, and the holy days. It's a time for us to really reflect on the joys because we have joy and peace because of the one who did come to be the light of the world. 
We all know the song. It might even be one of your favorite Christmas carols. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse to far. Scripture does not specifically refer to kings, but rather to magi or wise men, and we are not given a head count as to how many there were, yet we do know they did bear gifts, and we know what kind of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All of these are burial items for a king. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 2.11 Do you understand the significance of this? Even at his birth, Jesus was recognized and honored as royalty. And from his very birth, Jesus was presented with items to prepare him for his death. In 2003, we saw the story of the crucifixion minister to thousands throughout the nation and around the world from a surprising source, Hollywood, with the release of The Passion of the Christ. With the movie's graphic depiction of the suffering Jesus endured for the joy set before him, our salvations, came a new realization for many of the reality of the crucifixion. For others, the movie generated questions. As the cover of one national magazine boldly inquired, did Jesus really have to die? Even with the controversy surrounding the graphic violence involved in the scourging and death of Christ, an R rating would not be sufficient for an accurate portrayal of the extent he suffered. From the physical pain of the beatings to the emotional pain and loneliness of betrayal and false accusation, crucifixion was a form of capital punishment and considered the most humiliating and tormentful way to die. It is said that even the word excruciating did not exist until a word was needed to describe the pain of death by crucifixion. The following account is a medical description of what Christ went through, written by the late Dr. C. Truman Davis, whose widow Jean has graciously given us permission to print it once again. The physical trauma of Christ begins with one of the initial aspects, his suffering, the bloody sweat. It is interesting that the physician of the group, St. Luke, is the only one to mention this. Though very rare, the phenomenon of hematidrosis, or bloody sweat, is well documented. Under great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can break, thus mixing blood with sweat. This process alone could have produced marked weakness and possibly shock. After the arrest in the middle of the night, Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas, the high priest. A soldier struck Jesus across the face for remaining silent when questioned by Caiaphas. The palace guards then blindfolded him and mockingly taunted him to identify them as they passed, spat on him, and struck him in the face. In the early morning, Jesus, battered and bruised, dehydrated and exhausted from a sleepless night, is taken across Jerusalem to the praetorium of the fortress of Antonia. It was there, in response to the cries of the mob, that Pilate ordered Barabbas released and condemned Jesus to be scourged and crucified. Preparations for the scourging are carried out. The prisoner is stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forth with his flagrum or flagellum in his hand. This is a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached near the ends of each. 
The heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, back, and legs. At first, the thongs cut through the skin only. Then, as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the subcutaneous tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and veins of the skin, and finally spurting arterial bleeding from vessels in the underlying muscles. The small balls of lead first produced deep bruises, which are broken open by the subsequent blows. Finally, the skin of the back is hanging in long ribbons, and the entire area is an unrecognizable mass of torn, bleeding tissue. When it is determined by the centurion in charge that the prisoner is near death, the beating is finally stopped. The half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in the provincial Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter. A small bundle of flexible branches covered with long thorns is pressed into his scalp. Again, there is copious bleeding, the scalp being one of the most vascular areas of the body. After mocking him and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving their thorns deeper into his scalp. Finally, they tire of their sadistic sport, and the robe is torn from his back. This had already become adherent to the clots, to blood and serum in the wounds, and its removal, just as in the careless removal of a surgical bandage, causes excruciating pain, almost as though he were again being whipped and the wounds again begin to bleed. The heavy beam of the cross is then tied across his shoulders, and the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves, and the execution detail begins its slow journey. The weight of the heavy wooden beam, together with the shock produced by the copious blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wooden iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flexing and movement. The beam is then lifted in place at the top of the stipes, and the titulus reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended and toes down, a nail is driven into the arch of each as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment. He places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps come the inability to push himself upward, hanging by his arms. The pectoral muscles are paralyzed, and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, 
Carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmodically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium, slowly filling with serum, begins to compress the heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps, I thirst. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deep breath, and utters his seventh and last cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Apparently, to make double sure of death, the legionnaire drives his lance through the fifth interspace between the ribs, upward through the pericardium and into the heart. Immediately, there came out blood and water. We therefore have rather conclusive post-mortem evidence that our Lord died not the usual crucifixion, death by suffocation, but of heart failure, a broken heart, due to shock and constriction of the heart by fluid in the pericardium. When we consider the joyous festivities that surround the Christmas holidays each year as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's hard to consider that the entire purpose of his birth was for him to live a sinless life and be brutally crucified as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, fulfilling all the Old Testament Levitical sacrifices. Before his death, Jesus commanded us to take communion in remembrance of him, remembering what he has done, remembering that he was born to die so that we might have life. Each time we take communion, we are reminded of the high cost of love depicted on the cross of Calvary. He gave his life out of love, and through this display of love, our Prince of Peace and our Giver of Hope gives us meaning, identity, and purpose. No greater love has this than a man laid down his life for his friends. John 15:13. Why did he do this? Why did he leave his heavenly throne to come to earth, born to die? Hebrews 12, 2-3 says it so beautifully and so clearly. He was willing to give himself for us, to suffer shame and brutality, and to endure the cross for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? His joy was us, to see you and me, God's very creation, reconciled to himself, to be in relationship again with our Creator. Thus, he endured the cross, and now we have that same hope. We have that same joy as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we now partake in the joy He won for us on the cross as we lead others to the truth of Calvary. This is the joy that was set before Him, the reason He endured the cross, the reason He was born to die. In the midst of our own pain and trials, can we be the light that shines with that same joy? A joy unspeakable, a joy inexpressible.
that others too might find their way home? So true. I hope you enjoyed this professional narration of chapter one of my book, Born to Die. I think it really helps us to get a perspective in the midst of all the things and celebrations and the times and the energy spent during these holidays and the Christmas season that we too can have that joy unspeakable, that we too can have a peace that surpasses human comprehension. Why? Because just like it said in John fifteen thirteen, no greater love than this than one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus came to give his life that we might live and have that life more abundantly. This is the joy that was set before him, the reason he endured the cross, the reason he was born. I thank the Lord for every day for the grace of God upon my life. I thank the Lord for what he has done in the midst of my own pains and struggles and fears, insecurities and all my, my own sins. While I was still in my sin, he came and died for me and for you. This is truly the reason why we can celebrate a child that is born unto us. And also why we can sing songs like joy to the world, the Lord is come. I can't wait for next week when you listen to the next podcast on sweet communion, the peace offering, the, the Prince of Peace has come. We can have peace that surpasses human comprehension. This is the season to remember as the world is focused on these celebrations, we can remember the reason for the season that the light has come into the world. Also, if you'd like to get the show notes that go along with this podcast, and it comes with scripture references, it also comes with with references from my book and study guide, Born to Die, That We May Live, and other uh, scriptural references that might be of help to you in sermon notes as well. So I can't wait to talk to you next week. In fact, you can be praying for me today. Uh, If you're listening today, on this particular day, it's December the 16th, 2019. I should be preparing to get on a flight to go to Japan and on to Malaysia for some meetings, and then get back in time to spend with my family for Christmas Eve and Christmas here back in Houston. So I pray that you have a great holiday season. I pray that you would put Christ back in Christmas, and I pray that you would really remember the reason for the season. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.